last few verses of Isaiah 54. I want to say 54.11. 54.11 to 55.13 is what we're doing today. Okay. Um, this is a pretty cool passage. There's four little themes that go here. Um, and there's two verses that every single one of us knows, right? But you may not know exactly where they are in the Bible. You're, you're going to catch those here right at the end of 54 and the beginning of 55. Um, the four themes are, the, the first one is, O afflicted one. And these are all the things that are happening to the children of Israel at that time. Then it shifts over right at the end of 54. Um, I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. You've heard that, that second part of that one in several places, but this is where it comes up. This is Isaiah, where he comes up with this and presents it to us for the first time. Then as we move into 55, come everyone who thirsts. And again, we all know this particular passage, and we're going to talk about that. Then finally, um, down at the very end of this passage, we're going to run into a, for rain and snow come down from heaven, seek the Lord while he may be found. And so we'll close out with that. And then um, we're going to end 55, and then we're going to take a short break from Isaiah so that we can do um, Easter. And so we're going to have next week, we're going to have Palm Sunday. Wow. <laughs> I don't like hearing myself. I don't know about you guys. I just... <laughs> there's, there's a reason that there are like no video recordings of me. There are no audio recordings of me that I, I have around my house. There's no photographs of me. You know, I don't do that. It just... You can find a few online. And I've had people like, I'm going to speak at schools or something, and they'll grab a bunch of those images and they'll put them on a poster. It's like, please, no. <laughs> uh, this is, when you're really young, you're, you're, you're all aware of this. There are certain things that happen to you before you get to grade school that shape who you become later on. Um, and I had come from Japan just before grade school started. And everyone spoke English here in the United States, of course, right? I didn't speak English. And so I learned not to say anything. And that's still, it's one of the things that, go, you know, that baggage you drag around with you for the rest of your life. I still have that. So like, no pictures of me. I don't want to hear myself. <laughs> I'm telling you things about... Um, so this week, uh, as Colleen ratted me out last week, um, Thursday was my birthday. I turned 62. Um, I qualify for Medicare now. Um, and, but every year this funny thing happens, all right? Um, I was born in Japan, the other side of the international date line. 
and it's on the other side of the international date line and so and I was born early in the morning on March 31st in Japan okay well that occurs at about 11 a.m. on March 30th every year so at 11 a.m. on March 30th I was 62 years old it was 3 a.m. on March 31st in Japan but it's not my birthday yet <laughs> You know, there's another 18 hours that have to go by before that eventually comes around and, and it's my birthday. But that's not the day I was born at. And it's like one of those weird things. And it's on my driver's license. If, if <laughs> just random things that happen. And every year, um, you know, 11 a.m. here in California is 3 a.m. Japan tomorrow morning because of that international dateline. And um, every year this goes on. <laughs> All right, we have quite a bit to cover. Um, let me pray and let's get started. Almighty God, so many mysteries in this universe that you've created. And it makes me sit back and laugh sometimes at how our understanding is so misguided and our perceptions are so incorrect. Lord, you've made the universe to work in a particular way and your ways are not our ways and your understanding vastly exceeds ours. How amazing and great you must be, Lord, to have created this place for us to live. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we can open up the word to the prophet Isaiah and here's what he has to say to us. And we ask that you come down and open our hearts so that we can hear and see and learn more about Jesus, the one who came and saved us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, bless you. We praise your name and honor you. We ask all this in the name of Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so this week is a part of the middle of one of Isaiah's songs. And this is a long song. It ends all the way at 5920, by the way. I, I went and looked this up. Chapter 59, verse 20. We're not going to get there today. Don't worry. Um, and then another long song starts up at 60, verse 1, and runs through 66, 16, which is right before the very end. Then Isaiah has some closing uh, verses at the very end and then that'll be the end of Isaiah and we're going to do that probably we're going to get there by the middle of July is what I'm guessing at the rate we've been going I had thought we would be done by Easter of this year you remember that when we first started Isaiah and I missed it by that much <laughs> so um, today's uh, passage, Isaiah 54.11 through 55.13, which is the end of 55. So let's go ahead and get started. So here's one of the, the, the first of the four themes that we're going to run into. Verse 11. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. So, here we have God speaking through Isaiah, 
And he is talking to the besieged Israelites. I mean, this is the thing that's on everybody's mind. It's like you turn on the evening news right now, and what do you get? You get the Oscars, right? No, you're, you get the Ukraine. I mean, this is the thing that, that's on everybody's mind right now. And that's exactly what's going on. The same thing is happening here to the Israelites. What they're worried about is what's going on outside the city gates. And all they know is the Assyrians have come again. And the amazing thing is, it's not too many years after this particular passage happens that the Assyrians are completely gone. The, the Assyrian Empire has collapsed back to being one or two towns that are in Iraq today. And so, I mean, if you stop and think about that, 3,000 years now, 2,700 years, there, there's, this has not existed. And then shortly after that, of course, the Babylonians come and cart all the Israelites off. And the same thing happens to the Babylonians. And Isaiah talks about these things, that soon all of this is going to go away. Yes, things are hard now. There is no getting around that. But God's promise is that it will not always be this way. So here we have, they're, they're being assailed by the Assyrians, later by the Babylonians. Both of those kingdoms disappear. But then there's a switch, and Isaiah gives us a list of precious stones, of royal jewels. And he starts with antimony and sapphires. Let's go on down to verse 12 right here. And I will make your pinnacles of agate and your gates of carbuncles. Now, sometimes that gets translated crystal or sometimes even diamonds. And all your walls of precious stones. So continuing on with this list of precious jewels, agate and carbuncles, okay, and all the walls of precious stones. And these list of jewels appear in only a few places in the Bible. The first time is where God is commanding Moses to make the ephod of Aaron. And it will be decorated with, and this is the full list, and this is Exodus 28, 17 to 21. Exodus 28, 17 to 21. You shall set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, carbuncle shall be the first row. The second row, emerald, sapphire, and diamond. The third row, jacinth, agate, and amethyst. And the fourth row, beryl, onks, and jasper. And they shall be set in gold filigree. And there shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. And they shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. God is commanding the Israelites to make this breastplate, this ephod, for Aaron to wear when he is conducting his priestly duties before the Holy of Holies in the tent of the meeting. Okay, this is where God commands this to be done. Well, it turns out over in Exodus 39, they actually make this thing. 
And so once again in Exodus 39, 10 through 14, Exodus 39, 10 through 14, the Israelites decorate Aaron's ephod. And again, the full list. And they set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, carbuncle was the first row. The second row, emerald, sapphire, and diamond. And the third row, jacinth, agate, and an amethyst. The fourth row, beryl, unks, and jasper. And they were enclosed in settings of gold filigree. There were 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They were like signets, each one engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. Okay. So that's twice you get the full list in Exodus. All right. Isaiah is the next time it comes up, this passage that we're looking at right here. I will lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. It gets repeated again in Ezekiel. And again, it's the abbreviated list. So, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onks, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On that day you were created, they were prepared. So Ezekiel gives like the other part of that abbreviated list that we have in Isaiah. And then at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation, John has the full list again. So we have Revelation 21, 18 to 21. Revelation 21, 18 to 21. And John is describing the new Jerusalem, the walls of the new city of God. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth cryophase, eleventh jacinth, and twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Each of these stones represents a tribe in the house of Israel. And they are also a metaphor for the stones set in the walls of the new Jerusalem as described by John in Revelation. You also got the thing about the pavement being made of gold, right? There's a, a joke about this. Some of you may know. This one old guy, has, he's very wealthy and he has all his money and he makes a deal. And so he, he makes a deal with St. Peter who is at the gate and that he can bring his gold. So he comes in, and as he's going into the city of God with all his, his bag of gold, St. Peter's scratching his head, and why did he bring pavement? <laughs> okay. So continuing on in Isaiah, verse 13. And this is after the turmoil with the Assyrians and the Babylonians. 
And Isaiah says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. And it's not just the peace of this turmoil coming to a stop, because it really doesn't. But something else happens that brings peace to all of us. Continuing on, verse 14. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near to you. God will establish his kingdom in righteousness, and God's people who dwell with him shall be defended against oppression and from terror. Maybe not in this lifetime. God doesn't make that promise, but he says ultimately we will all be away from all of that and that we shall live in peace. Clearly to me this this passage speaks of the coming of Jesus. That without Jesus you cannot have those things. Verse 15. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Strife shall not be present in God's kingdom, and those who create strife shall fall. Verse 16. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. God creates the weapon maker for the defense of God's people and the ravager, and each has their purpose. And then in verse 17, and we all know this verse, and I was surprised when it came up, and I should know this, right? Verse 17, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. So here in verse 17, no weapon that is made and raised against God's people shall ultimately succeed. This is the heritage of God's people. God has declared it. And this is the end of chapter 54. And so Isaiah closes out that theme right there. I think the juxtaposition there where he's talking about creation of a weapon, but then it says, you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. And that juxtaposition of those two things actually comes back here in a little bit. All right, we're going over. And now we're going into 55, verse 1, the compassion of the Lord. 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. We all know this message. It's hinted at in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
and in John 7. John 7, 37 and 38. John 7, 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is the great paradox, that there is a gift of bread and wine that both cost nothing and is also infinitely valuable. We have there without money and without price. It was a free gift, but it was not purchased freely. Verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me here, that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Isaiah continues here, and he tells us to listen. Listen to the words of God, for this is salvation. God makes an everlasting covenant with us, as he promised to David so some 3,000 years ago. And if you stop and think about that, God makes this covenant and it's still in place today. And God makes it with us. You notice that this is not a covenant between us and God, that there's some sort of equal, we have to do something in order to, to achieve this. God is giving this to us. In verse 4, speaking of David, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. God made David as a witness to us, the people of God. David was an example of a type and a leader and a commander to the church. And as a final witness to us, God raises the son of David. Acts 13, 34 to 38. Acts 13, 34 to 38. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And of course, Paul is speaking of Jesus here. Continuing on, verse 5 in Isaiah. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Once again, we have this theme of all the nations of the earth coming to the house of the Lord. Zechariah 8 22 to 23. Zechariah 8, 22 to 23. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in, his, in Jerusalem 
and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of, your, take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Continuing on, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So here in verses 6 and 7, we who know God are commanded to call upon God while he is near to us. And we are told to call upon the lost to come and join us. This way the lost can return to the Lord, for God is gracious and he will abundantly pardon. He will pardon them just as he will pardon us. This is why we are to pray for our enemies. Because there are people amongst our enemies who are saved. And it is our job to tell them about Jesus so that they can hear and believe. And here we are, verse 8. We just sang this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The Lord tells us that our, that our thoughts are not his thoughts. Clearly, this is true. We all know this. God's actions are not our actions. But in, on, in our reflection on what God does, we can clearly see God's perfection, his sublime beauty, and the brilliance of the actions that God takes. Here again in verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As an example, we are given the example of the heavens being above the earth. As a physical reality, we know that God is infinite, far beyond the edges of the universe. The universe is not infinite in the same way that God is infinite. And so God is so much greater than anything we can imagine. In verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. The mysteries of God's creation. I always think of science in this way. We have this meager understanding of how everything works, right? But do we really? Does anyone know how DNA actually works to make a person? I mean, our understanding is so incredibly limited and meager compared to what God spoke into reality. We cannot even begin to comprehend. We look at it and we study it, and our understanding is so limited and giving us life and sustenance at the same time. 
Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is like that seed. It goes forth and does not return to God void. All of God's creation has purpose, and it all succeeds within the will of God. Everything that happens, the good and the bad, things that we think are bad, fall within the will of God. It is all purposed by God. If it were not that way, stop and think about the word sovereignty. What does that actually mean? Is God truly sovereign? over the universe. And you have to think about this, right? Every single thing, every grain of sand, every molecule in the air that we breathe has a purpose. God has created it to do, to function, to have its purpose. This is the part that blows my brain when I think about it. I have no comprehension of any of this. And I, I don't think about it as often as I should. Verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall sing, break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. What an amazing image that we have here that we shall go forth and be led out in joy and peace, being led by Jesus, and all the mountains and the fields shall burst, for, burst forth in singing, and all the trees under heaven shall wave their leaves and clap their hands. This week, Facebook sent me uh, one of my old postings. Three years ago, we had the super bloom out here. Remember that? And all the flowers? Out, out in the fields, off to the west of town. And there's a, a really intense field just a couple of miles from our house. And Leanne and I went out there and um, just poppies after poppies after poppies. And there's this one spot where the, the hill rolls slightly. And if you crouch down, all you see are the poppies and then the snow-capped mountains behind. And you can hide all the buildings and, and town, right? And so we, we actually took that photo with all these snow-capped mountains in the distance and all these poppies in the foreground. And it, it makes me think of this verse, actually. This verse, the other way around. This verse made me think of that image. And I had to go find it again and uh, dug it up. But how, how true, and this is just a, a little tiny image to make me think about what it will be like when we get to God's kingdom. And the closing verse that they have here, verse 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. 
So instead of the sharp insult of the thorn, God raises up a cypress. And instead of the briar leaving its splinter in your skin is the softness of a myrtle. And what is left is the name of the Lord as an eternal sign that it will never be cut off. This ends this part of this song right here. And the song continues on, speaking of the salvation of foreigners. God will bring them in. Thank goodness for each of us, right? And we will look at that after Easter. Bill gets to do that part. Next week is Palm Sunday, and we will again look up the hill to the east gate as Jesus rides the colt. Isaiah is drawing a contrast here between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, which is coming. Something new is coming. And how will we know it's a new thing? How will we recognize it? God is bringing in the outsiders. All the nations of the earth will come to God's mountain. Again, if God is sovereign, God is the only one that is wholly just. God is the only one who is the example of being wholly faithful. And God knows what the great problem is that stands between us and where he is in heaven. And that is something that is us. It is a part of us. And that is sin. And in between these two, this sin cannot be overcome by anything that we do. This is the great problem. And God knows that the only way that sin can be atoned for, for is for the redemption of God's people and for the salvation of God's people. Only God knows the answer to how to solve that problem. No one can pay for their sins, and each sin requires death. Yet God knows the one who can pay for all sins. From eternity past through the present to eternity future, God knows. And God knows which servant is just and true and can stand in the gap for the sins of all God's people. Jesus. Jesus is the one the servant, the crown prince, our king and our lord. Not created, not made, and forever eternal. Let's pray. Almighty God, how incredible and beautiful and amazing you are. We look at the mystery that Isaiah lays out here before us. And we can see and we know that it is true. And we can feel it. And how incredibly inadequate are words compared to what must truly exist as the way you created it, Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask you that 
you would tear open our hearts and the, pour these words of Isaiah in so that we can have just this meager understanding, this glimpse of the way you designed the universe to work. And that all of this will someday fall away and be left behind. And the only thing that will be left is your all-encompassing greatness and your power and your glory and the honor that we bring you and the praise and the worship. How amazing will that day be, Lord? Lord Jesus, how incredibly awesome what you did for us. You came and died on a cross to redeem us, to purchase our salvation so that someday we could spend all eternity with you and your Father and the Holy Spirit How incredible will be that day when we come in with the throng of all the others from all eternity to sing worship and praise in honor and glory to you. Lord, how we look forward to that day. How we look forward to that day. Amen.